Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Girls Gone Canon, Theon in a Clash of Kings, intro and chapter one. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as at Lies in Arbor or at www.liesinarborgold.com. It's still not old. I am Eliana, another one of your hosts. I'm very excited about my co-host's domain still. And you can find me, though, on the internet, Arithmetric, on Twitter, or on the Maester Monthly podcast, or on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit as Glass Table Girl. I've heard of you. Sorry. Sorry. We are on our sad squid baby. Yeah, what was what was it called? Like a... I forgot. Shale looked it up. She gave us a paralarvae. Our paralarvae. Paralarvae. Yeah, he's like yeah, a paralegal, that's... but larva. A paralegal, but a larva. Okay. Yeah, he's a paralarvae. Yeah. No, I'm a. I'm kind of sad to see Sansa go, but at the same time, I'm kind of. I don't know. I'm ready for something new. I am. I am. And I was actually super excited that we got a message on Patreon from, I believe, the name of the person is like Dailies. Right? Yes, Delise. Yeah, Delise. Dallas. Dallas? I don't know. Uh, Tell us how to say your name, but we're just trying. Dallas. Maybe it's Dallas. Maybe. The point is, she said, I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to see the order, the the, the logic behind the order, how we're doing these chapters. And I was just like fist pumping in the background. Like, yes. Finally. Someone gets it. It's making sense to people. People are seeing it. And on Twitter, we did talk about uh, somebody asked if we were going to do Daenerys because there was a humorous tweet. Somebody asked if we were going to do Jon. And I was like, no, we decided (laughs) to skip him. Uh, She won't let me skip him. We're going to do all of them. Equally. We're equally going to do every character. Wait a second. We're going to do every character as much or as little as we want. But also, someone responded, are you going to do Daenerys, though? And uh, Eliana rightfully responded for us that, do we not low-key have Danny content every episode? We do. We do. It's it's hard not to. Something Tarth Forever, the Even Star on Twitter said, uh, said that so much of Danny's analysis seems meta in ways that require an exploration of other POVs first. We need the shape of what George is building before we can understand Danny, which I think is really important. Uh, I think that way about a couple characters that we haven't done yet, and I think it's good to lay this foundational work. And Sansa, we could have pushed her, but at the same time, it's our podcast. So. Yeah, my partner, he thought that we were going to do Sansa towards the end because of a save our favorite for last. And I was like, no, the, we're going to be doing this for like four years. If we did that, we wouldn't get to Sansa to like, I don't know, 2022. We'd grow resentful. That's you true. Know? We're going to be like on the 12th Tyrion episode and I'm going to be bitching so much. And you guys are going to be like, remember the good days when we used to have Sansa and we're going to remember them too. And we're all going to have that together. So yeah, we're here. We're um, it's a journey, it's a journey together. together. And this journey has blown us into Pike today. It has. Um, it's our first time seeing Pike in the books. We were like, wow, this chapter is very long and dense. And that's partially because we're coming to a new place. Imagine that we are the Game of Thrones map and uh, at the beginning of every episode. And like now Pike is building from the ground. All cool and stuff. Dorne is a little different because he breaks it up into several chapters. Mm-hmm. And we do get Asha, of course, and Aaron eventually. But for Theon, I mean, you really, this is where you get Pike just from him straight forward from the Ironborn POV. Just boom. He didn't really have to bust it out into four different chapters yet. He does, which is interesting also to build that lore and world building. Indeed. And so 
to start off with our little paralarvae, we have a quote that we think sums up the first part of Theon's story very well. It is as if I were a stranger here, Theon thought. Nothing has changed, and yet everything has changed. Theon Greatjoy was born in 278 or 279 AC, which puts him somewhere around 19 when we meet him in a Game of Thrones. He is, at the time, a hostage of House Stark, which I guess hostage can mean a lot of things in this story. He's treated a little bit better than Sansa as hostage, read a lot better, but not quite as well as a real son would be treated. He's been a hostage slash ward of Ned Stark's since 289 AC, around 10 years old. And that means that when Theon arrives at House Stark, he's a little bit older than all of the kids who are there. He's a huge contrast to John's Winterfell court foil, right? Uh, we can kind of see that, especially in his class chapters versus John's Game of Thrones chapters back at Winterfell. Theon was actually named for Theon Stark, a Winterfell king. The Hungry Wolf is his name, which is pretty fitting, especially when Theon overreaches himself a little bit in A Clash of Kings. But the Hungry Wolf has some interesting story details himself, right? He defended the North during the Andal invasions. House Bolton was his ally, which is a very interesting little touch here. He defeated the Andal Argos Seven Star in the Battle of the Weeping Water, sailed to the coast of Andalos with Argo's body on the prow of his ship, very red wedding, burned Andal villages, killed hundreds, he captured tower houses and a sept, he displayed those that he killed's heads on spikes to warn would-be attackers, he conquered the Three Sisters and Rills and even helped the Night's Watch against the Wildlings, but one of his biggest accomplishments was expelling the Iron Men from the northern shores of Bear Island and Cape Kraken, slaying Harrig Hor, the King of the Iron Isles' son, Ravos the Raper. It's just Davos with an R. I the know, name. some of these, like, some of the history in general, I'm like, George, you just, you took that word and you put it at the front instead of the end. Uh. Or, like, maybe it's a generator, right? Some of this I is just, so. like, a word generator. I hope so. While Theon kind of tends to deflect his hostage fostering status, he wasn't ill-treated, right? He was raised among the Starks normally. He had lessons from Maester Lewin. He was taught arms by Roderick Cassell himself, the Master at Arms. He ignored John due to his bastard status, so, of course, he thought he was above him. And he even gets to join in during the King's Hunt at Winterfell. He ends up becoming one of Rob's trusted advisors for a time, of course. For a time. But, of course, yes, there is a logic to the order that we have created. And there's a reason that we put Theon after Sansa. Naturally, uh, as many of you know, both of them experienced suffering and torture at the hands of the people who kept them. And by that, no, we don't mean the Starks, but I'm definitely obviously talking about Ramsay. And both Theon and Sansa end up coming face to face and being the victims of some of the biggest and cruelest villains in A Song of Ice and Fire, Joffrey and Ramsay. But in terms of their hostage situation, yes, Theon is still a hostage, and we see that he's actually never let that go throughout this chapter. Because a prisoner still isn't free, no matter how well they're treated. Like Sansa herself begrudges Littlefinger for bringing her to the Vale when she was promised home. And she understands that the Eyrie in the Vale, like King's Landing, is just another cage, however comfortable it is. And that's how Theon seems to feel towards Ned Stark. We're going to dig into this more a little in this chapter. But however much Ned may have tried to be his father, Theon 
knew he was a hostage and used the coin paid for Balon Greyjoy's good behavior. Yeah, not a lot of good came out of the Greyjoy Rebellion, that's for sure. That was, a, that was a bad idea. I'm excited to dive into Theon's identity uh, throughout this entire story. I mean, we have a lot ahead of us yes. up till the end of Dance and, of course, the Winds of Winter chapters. He goes from having his Greyjoy identity torn from him when Eddard lands on his shores to then also having his Starkjoy identity, we'll call it, ripped from him at Ramsay's hand and knife's. Uh, he's been forever searching for himself. Theon's never been able to be himself. I find it really, really interesting as we go through these chapters, uh, seeing the difference between Northern life and between the Ironborn culture. There's a lot of pride mm-hmm. in both of them, right? There's a lot of similarities between the two. They both have their own old way. Uh, the old way for Ironborn is taking their glory, their woman, their gold, and praying to the drowned gods. But the North isn't really too far off with their religion and old way. The old way is honorable, though, in the North. It's seen as looking the person in the eye and taking their life for yourself. So the man who passes the sentence swings the sword, paying the iron price, right? Similar. It's similar in the way the old way the Ironborn have of taking their riches and plunder, but of course having to be the one to do that and be, you know, the one to pass that sentence and sword. The Drowned God believes in drowning their men to see if they're chosen to come back with seawater pumping in and out of their lungs. And also believes in blood sacrifice of thralls and concubines to wake the drowned god's powers, which we know the old gods may or may not, slash definitely do, support blood sacrifices. I mean, it it literally feeds their trees. They look like they are crying blood. Yeah, that's like their whole thing is blood. Blood and trees. I just, Jojen paste is real. Yeah, I mean, I used to be like on the fence and then he died and I was in the show and I was like, I mean, it's real. But it's real. Time to wake up, Eliana. Oh uh, yeah. At that point, I was like, it's real. Um, yeah, I think that these are some great points you made about the similarities between the two, and I'm excited to see more of what you have to say about the comparisons between the cultures. It seems like the story is just telling us also that hard. Well, was this in this story? Was it in the different story that the idea that where they're like hard? I don't know. Lands breed hard men or something like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like a similar idiom that gets passed around in the story. For sure. Aegon the first shut King Hor down, right? The Iron King. The Ironborn were mostly peaceful between then and the Greyjoy Rebellion. There were obviously some reavings on and off, but all that changed when Balon rebelled because he wanted to restore the old way. Stannis Baratheon actually helped stop the Iron Fleet, and Robert Baratheon's reign was still strong. This is basically where Ned swooped in as a fake dad, taking Theon as his ward, which, as Eliana mentioned, is just a blood debt to keep Balin in his good behavior. And so, with the Starks, Catelyn tells Rob to go together with Theon when Theon heads to the Iron Islands, but Rob refuses, putting his trust in Theon and saying that Theon is also his own true brother. And this idea of who is family, of course, manifests throughout A Song of Ice and Fire in a lot of different ways, but really blooms in Theon's story. Yeah, especially in Theon 1. Ha-ha. Who's family? Uh, No. All in a bunch of his Clash chapters. Yeah. I mean, stuff with Asha. Yes, exactly. That's the next. That's sort of... Theon's story, though, is 
definitely about this idea of change as well as family. Both internally and externally, we see that relationship of change between those two parts of a person. And his chapters open with that realization that while he had been gone from home for like these 10 years, the world just carried on without him and it just kept going. And Pike and the people there changed in that decade that Dan was in Winterfell and without realizing it, Dan himself has changed because usually people do that when they're 10 years old and then become 19. Puberty and all all sorts of things happen. And, of course, in Theon's larger storyline, he changes again when he's out of sight from the story in A Storm of Swords and A Feast for Crows. He changes and comes back to us unfamiliar, as unfamiliar as Pike is to him, as a character named Reek. And, of course, that change between Theon and Reek is super clear. At first, you're like, who the hell is this new person? Then you're like, oh. Oh, damn. It's Theon. Oh, dip. <laughs> oh, dip. And the story, of course, asks a deeper question than just, can a man change? Because we see it happen to maybe, like, can a man grow? And we see Theon striving to become someone with courage in A Dance with Dragons because he's definitely not that kind of person in Clash. And he might never have been able to get there if not for these things not that it makes it right that those things happen but it'll be interesting to see if he can and how he would overcome all of these different challenges yeah i think it really adds depth to his character and of course we can't lose sight that theon is much like we've explored in characters like quentin the son and the heir right he's the last alive son of the current ruling greyjoy family with all that legacy weighing down upon him, right? He definitely wants to please his dad. He's looking for some sort of glory. He's really looking for home, is what he's looking for. Somewhere, anywhere. Poor baby boy. His older brothers, Marin and Roderick, died in the Greyjoy Rebellion. Roderick was slain by Jason Malister, and Marin was also slain in the Rebellion. Theon was never really fond of them, especially Marin. Marin made very cruel jokes, and that's all Theon remembered, so... Interesting. Just interesting that he is the last one and he's our soft baby squid boy who's a little bit of a pompous, arrogant prat, but that goes away very fast. Yes. Before we get there, we have a lightning round, of course. We're going to start off with, you know, the book, A Game of Thrones, where like a whole fucking book happened. We've been through it. You guys have read it. I'm, it's a, a reread. We're a reread podcast. In the prologue of A Clash of Kings. Maester Cresson mistrusts the new religion taking hold on Dragonstone and dies, thinking he's protecting one of the boys he loved and cared for, Stannis Baratheon. Oh my god, Maester Cresson. A chapter is sad as fuck. I know. So sad. And it really paints Stannis' whole plot in a dark way. Like, yeah. It's very dark. It's very sad. It's just sad. I'm sad. Poor Grandpa. Oh my god. All right, sorry. You got emotional. And there's that part about Renly that, you know, the look look at me, I'm a king. Like, Renly always played yeah. at being a king. Ugh. He loved them both, and he was all like, oh, I'm doing it for my son. He- yeah, my sad uh, son. That's literally, that's Preston literally, he's sitting there Stannis. and he's like, my sad son, Stannis Baratheon. That's how Mr. Preston feels. Alright, Arya won. Post-Ned death, Arya travels north with Yorin, disguised as a boy. Hot Pie, another Night's Watch entrant, steals her sword. So she beats him bloody, and then Yorin beats her in return. Everybody getting beat, but a Hot Pie. Sansa won. Sansa attends Joffrey's birthday party, which sucks, and saves Sir Dantos Hollard from a horrible fate. 
Tyrion won. Cersei finally accepts Tyrion as temporary hand of the king. And Varys, Lords of Tyrion's mistress. Mm. Bran won. Full of shame in his broken body, Bran is having a pretty bad time. Some bratty frays show up, the wolves are locked away, everything sucks. He dreams that night in Summer's eyes. Arya 2. On the road, Yorin refuses to give up one of his recruits to the Gold Cloaks while Arya makes a surprising new friend. John 1. Samwell and John present their maps to Lord Commander Mormont for ranging, and he tells John of Maester Aemon's past. Catelyn 1. Catelyn watches her eldest son, Rob, display his ruling prowess, but disagrees with some of his choices. A mood. Tyrion 2. Tyrion finds a diplomatic way to rid himself of an enemy by sending him to the Night's Watch. Arya 3. On the King's Road, Arya comes across a pack of wolves. Yorin thinks they should have taken a ship. And that leads us from Davos 1. Stannis is named Azora High. Davos discovers why Stannis favors this new religion. Oh yes, Ravos. <laughs> and finally, we are here at Theon 1, A Clash of Kings. Salty waves crash upon black, oily rocks. And Theon Greyjoy has returned home for the first time in ten years. I feel like I should have edited this. I was originally thinking we were doing both chapters and I didn't like do it. It's okay. He is greeted by his uncle, the Dampere, a devout drowned god worshipper, and eventually delivered to a meeting that doesn't quite go how he wants it to with his father. So the last time that Theon Greyjoy saw home, it dwindled away as he traveled toward the north in Robert Baratheon's war galley as Ned Stark's ward. This time, he wants to watch his father's castle rise from the sea, the exact opposite. He rides in a ship called Miraham, and everything is so Lovecraftian. Holy crap. The shore was all sharp rocks and glowering cliffs, and the castle seemed one with the rest, its towers and walls and bridges quarried from the same grey-black stone, wet by the same salt waves, festooned with the same spreading patches of dark green lichen, speckled by the droppings of the same seabirds. The point of land on which the Greyjoys had raised their fortress had once thrust like a sword into the bowels of the ocean, but the waves had hammered at it day and night until the land broke and shattered thousands of years past. All that remained were three barren, barren islands and a dozen towering stacks of rock that rose from the water like the pillars of some sea god's temple, while the angry waves foamed and crashed among them. It's so interesting that we're really first introduced to Azor High and Clash of Kings, because if A Feast for Crows is the laden with imagery of war and just like destruction and crows feasting on bodies, like bodies hanging in the air, you know, through the riverlands. Yeah. If that's A Feast for Crows and that's what you think and burnt flesh, uh, Clash is full of Azor High and Nisa Nisa. I mean, even just that line the the Greyjoys had raised their fortress, had once thrust like a sword into the bowels of the ocean. Like, it's mm -hmm. everywhere. It's littered in this book. Like, we get it. Azor Ahai is being introduced. It's important. It's a, yeah, it feels like a very prophetic book. I think that's such a good point, and I haven't really thought about how it's so ingrained in Clash. You have, like, the comet, and then, of course, the House of the Undying happens here, and as you said, Melisandre shows up. Yes, she exists. Magic just really comes, like, it was obviously there in the story, but it's, like, really, really, really there now. Yeah, Bran really, this is where Bran, you know, gets his prophetic powers coming into light, and 
Uh, there's a lot happening here. I do think there's a lot of imagery we can read into for Theon. When you read Catelyn's chapter a bit before this, she doesn't trust Theon going on his own and Rob does. We, the reader, probably know Kat's right, and this chapter does detail why. Uh, while Ned did raise Theon much like his own, he didn't beat him, he fed him, he gave him an education, he doesn't really have a real home to belong to, much like Jon Snow. I mean, him going home, this isn't his home anymore. He's visiting, he's between homes, he has no home. He he feels relief at not seeing the direwolf bear down on him in this one line at the end of that passage. And here at least the direwolf of Stark did not fly above, casting its shadow down upon the Greyjoy Kraken. So he's always been made to feel small, and here he doesn't have to feel that anymore. He's hopeful, he feels free, and it's a little bit like Sansa in a way, catapulted into a shitty situation after shitty situation, even on that first day of freedom, even if it's going to another bad situation, he gets to breathe after escaping one of his captors, finally. And, of course, during this trip, Theon has decided to cozy up to the captain's daughter, and she asks him if the castle looks the same as when he left it. Theon, inside, thinks that it kind of looks smaller, but muses that maybe that's just the distance. And, of course, this is our first hint that things are going to be different from the way that Theon remembers Pike. The captain of his ship was not Ironborn. He was from Old Town, so they didn't really chance to sail too close to Pike since the ship and crew didn't feel like they could handle it. I feel like there's a lot we could dig into with sailors and learn a lot from just separating their text in A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, there's so many from different ports and Arya's plot and a lot of other places. I'd love to read a piece on that, on like mm. all the different captains and where they're from in A Song of Ice and Fire and where they go and what they sell and what that means like economically. I don't know. I would love to read that. Someone should write that. Not me. <laughs> Maybe like Stephen Adderwell. He probably has, but I would love to read about that. He should do that. He'd be good at that. Yeah. The thing about, like, what they mean, but if in terms of just cataloging, if someone could do some of that legwork, like Tom Marius, T-H-O-M-A-E-R-Y-S on, like, Reddit, he was the one who put together that spreadsheet of, like, all of the characters. Yeah, I bet we could filter it. Yeah. Interesting. We should look at it and download it and filter <laughs> it. I love a good data filter. We should Anyways. try and accept this idea. Into <laughs> the captain then asks, uh, can we make report? And Theon says, yes! Yes, he can. If every captain was a king aboard his own ship, as was often said, it was small wonder they named the islands the land of 10,000 kings. And when you have seen your kings shit over the rail and turn green in a storm, it was hard to bend the knee and pretend they were gods. The drowned god makes men, old king Uron Redhand had once said thousands of years ago, but it's men who make crowns. I love this. I, I love this line uh, because... Again, it's that kind of view of Ironborn culture and the similarities with that northern culture. And the farther north you go, the wilder it gets like this. Uh, and how kings and people follow kings and respect kings. And kings get chosen in this culture as we come to learn mm -hmm. uh, later on at the king's moot. Kings get chosen, you know, by their people who find them brave or find them inspiring. So, you know, it's like how the king in the north is chosen. It's someone who leads and inspires. It's similar in that kind of fashion. I also love Theon literally just made the sailor ship captain whatever go in circles outside his dad's house before he was like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go in. I didn't even notice that. What if, like, actually turns out Bailon Greyjoy was waiting for Theon earlier downstairs and he was like, fuck this. Just went upstairs because he was just tired of waiting. Oh my god, Theon's like, I gotta be fashionably late for my dad, which, as we learn later, not a good plan. Yeah. Don't play, uh, don't play power games with yeah. 
your dad when he's bailing for yeah, you, Yeah, definitely not. Theon tells the captain to call for him when they get to Lordsport, then takes the captain's daughter to the captain's cabin that he took for himself to bed her. Holy shit. Theon then proceeds to talk shit about this girl, like, internally in his head, and how she's dumb, but she has nice tits, which he plays with through this whole conversation, which is like, okay, I'm gonna level with you real quick. Men, there are machines that you put batteries in, you know, or you can plug them in the wall these days, don't need batteries, which is a really limiting thing. Like, all men provide is the sticky stuff and, like, some hot breath. Whatever, Theon. I just, I need to level with Theon here and be like, your, your shit stinks, Theon. Your shit stinks. And he's just doing it over what? The real? Yeah, just whatever. Oh, like, yeah. Stinks. Fucking stinks. Yeah, he thinks he's just so much better than this girl. And, yeah, he tells the girl... We don't know her name. What is her name? What is her dad's name? Justice for the captain's daughter and for Bera's mom. Even like the captain's kind of an asshole too, but I don't know his name either. I'm just like, yes, the captain and the captain's daughter. I could write a song about that shit. Yeah. Anyway, Theon tells that girl that he was gone for 10 years as Ned's ward and he thinks a ward in name a hostage in truth half his days a hostage but no longer his life was his own again and nowhere a stark to be seen and then theon like waxes on about how shitty the iron islands are to this girl like is this supposed to impress her i'm not sure but he's like, he's, like talking shit right like he's like yeah. oh like i'm better than this place but what do you mean like you also just talk shit about ned that's all you have you have either the north or you have iron islands theon you don't get both I think that he thinks, like, the shittier, shittier he makes the Iron Islands sound, the more impressive he sounds for having come from there. Of, like, I dealt with this. I'm like, okay. Like, tougher. Yeah, but... Especially because he starts talking about how, like, you know, she she talks to him about how she could go ashore with him and she could, you know, be the his rock wife or salt wife. And she's like, I could be your salt wife. And he's like, no, those days are no more. We have no, no glory of fire and sword. It's... Funny. And then he's all like, oh, she's not listening to me, this dumb girl. And it's like, I want to listen to you either. You just, like, decided to, you like the sound of your own voice. Yeah. Anyway, Theon, yeah, as you said, says those days are gone. And then he decides, this is a time, instead of having sex, I'm going to teach this girl a new thing. And he's like, this is how you give a blowjob. Oh my god. And then he's just, like, thinking about the old way, right? While, while she's giving him a blowjob. Ah. <sighs> Theon, you don't deserve the internet. The the world, the waves surfing the web. <laughs> trying to make this work with the ship thing. Oh my thing. god. Okay. It really worked well in my head. So we get a history lesson of how Aegon the Conqueror did away with the old way when he burned Black Heron and separated the kingdom of the rivers and the isles to the Riverlands and the Iron Islands. And then yes, as... Uh, we get this this interesting moment. <laughs> Are we splitting it up? Do you want to split this up? Are we role playing? We can. Do you want to? Who do you want to be? I'll do. I'll be whomever you want. Well, this is weird. Tell what me what do, you want. What? Tell, me what you, tell me what. Tell me what you oh want, Chloe. God. We can read it aloud at the same time. <laughs> you be Thea, and I'll be the girl. Okay. His climax came on him sudden as a storm, and he filled the girl's mouth with his seed. Startled, she tried to pull away, but Theon held her tight by the hair. Let the girl pull away, all right. Afterward, she crawled up beside him. Did I please, my lord? Well enough, he told her. It tasted salty, she murmured. Like the sea? She nodded. I have always loved the sea, my lord. 
Just throwing this fact out there for everyone. Mm. It does not taste like the sea. Dude, was this our first sex scene together? Didn't we do one for Ariane? I could have sworn we did one for Ariane. Was this our first sex scene? Like, no, I as in like read aloud? Together. I mean, we did we did it together. Wow. It's our first time. <sighs> oh my god. So Theon tries to leave her and we now can see why she is so persistent in having him take her with him. I don't know. Are we doing this again? Oh, I'm the girl, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I can't stay here now. He laced up his britches. Why not? My father, she told him. Once you're gone, he'll punish me, my lord. He'll call me names and hit me. Theon swept his cloak off its peg and over his shoulders. Fathers are like that, he admitted as he pinned the folds. How do you know? I, I know, I agree. I'm like, uh, was his dad like this when he was like 10 years old? I don't know. And, yeah, he admitted as he pinned the folds with a silver clasp, tell him he should be pleased. As many times as I fucked you, you're likely with child. It's not every man who has the honor of raising a king's bastard. She looked at him stupidly, so he left her there. Ugh. Oh my god. Anyway, while, I mean, while in the first time, right, that daughter might have gone with Theon willingly, there's definitely that element of him using his status to take her, which I think is bolstered by the fact that, what, Theon takes the captain's cabin and, like, the captain gives him dirty looks for sleeping with his daughter the whole time. Yeah, very Stannis and uh, Robert and, you know, at Solis and his wedding. Yeah. Only, like, with your own daughter, so it's like he can't say shit, because that's, that's, like, first night. He just, like, first nighted it. That's exactly Only not, yeah. what it is, because, like, Theon, you know, he thinks that the captain and the daughter, whose names, again, we still do not know, we only know the name of this ship somehow, ought to be pleased with this honor and, like, having Theon's bastard, and it's, like, definitely reminiscent, as you said, of the first night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, like, the lords and kings would take newly wedded women and, and then just rape them, and fire and blood frames the dragon seeds on Dragonstone, much in the same way that Theon is saying that, oh, uh, your dad and you should be honored. And it's said in Fire and Blood that the people on Dragonstone also saw it as an honor to have a Valyrian or Targaryen bastard. But I think that's just Gildane's bias. Like, I don't think that's true, Gildane. Chill the fuck out. No one's happy to just, like, get popped full of a fucking baby they didn't want. Yeah. Yeah, no one's happy to be raped, okay? Yeah, not at all. And, like, we see from what the daughter says to Theon of what's going to happen, like, this is the exact reason that Alysanne fought so hard in Fire and Blood for the first night to be abolished. Um, and it's those same reasons. The captain's daughter fears that her father is going to abuse her if she stays, and it doesn't matter if Theon was the one who wanted her, because she's the one who has to bear all of the consequences afterwards. And Alysanne explains to Jaehaerys and the rest of the small council that Molestown was full of stories like these. She knew a girl who, her father was a blacksmith, and she was a maid, and then she married this boy, and then the lord and his men-at-arms came to claim her at her first night, carried her off, and then assaulted her and raped her and when she came back her maidenhead was gone and her husband didn't want her anymore he would he would beat her and when it came forward that she was carrying the lord's child he he just beat her until to the point that she had a miscarriage it's terrible he just would abuse her and never call her anything but whore and like this is what theon is this is the system that theon is being part of 
it's not good. And I mean, of course, Theon isn't supposed to be likable in these first chapters of his. And this is one of the ways that we're shown that, like, he doesn't give a shit that this is what's going to happen to to the captain's daughter. And he doesn't give a shit about the captain, who, again, we still don't know their names. He felt entitled to her, entitled to the ship, to the cabin, just because he was highborn and sees himself as an heir. And, like, he thinks that the same hierarchy, which he likely learned in the North, like, holds in these Iron Islands. And, of course, it's true in the Iron Islands as well, but it's more built on that idea of, like, strength slash power. He feels that if he can take it through force, then it's his. As opposed to like that birth entitlement. It's both of these things at play. Yeah, it's the two, the duality, the two sides of Theon that we've met so far. And I do want to say it's important to point out that while Ned Stark is a good guy and we have discussed, you know, he was more fair with his men, he's still a high lord, right? And high lords are high lords. Like, yes, he's different, but the Starks aren't like some pseudo social justice warriors that have always been around. Like, go Star- Starks, go Starks. Like, they did all this stuff too, you know, like they weren't always like pure and good like they all have blood on their hands you know yes and we get past generations i mean yeah they're just people past generations even brandon wasn't wasn't particularly good yeah he wasn't really a shining star of those three no def not and then as theon gets closer to pike we see a couple of different keeps like the botleys and then we have theon's memories of pike that aren't of a happy childhood because his memories of Pike are of Balon Greyjoy's war. When last he'd seen Lordsport, it had been a smoking wasteland, the skeletons of burnt longships and smashed galleys littering the stony shore like the bones of dead Levithians. The house is no more than broken walls and cold ashes. After ten years, few traces of the war remained. The small folk had built new hovels with the stones of the old and cut fresh sod for their roofs. A new inn had risen beside the landing, twice the size of the old one, with a lower story of cut stone and two upper stories of timber. The set beyond had never been rebuilt, though. Only a seven-sided foundation remained where it had stood. Robert Baratheon's fury had soured the Iron Men's taste for the new gods, it would seem. It's surprising how much Greyjoy Rebellion information there is in this chapter. Yeah, this chapter alone. And then also, can we talk about how metal this is? It is. Like skeletons of burnt longships and smashed galleys littering the stony shore like the bones of dead leviathans i can't leviathan leviathan yeah i don't i can't do it it's not gonna happen it's okay Um, maybe next time yeah like you said it's super metal and the ironborn in general feels super metal we're gonna get to some of their sigils soon also feel the same way I also just love this line that Theon was more interested in ships than gods because the person who greets Theon when he comes to port eventually is Aaron Greyjoy. And as we see in A Feast for Crows, the gods and their followers can be a super powerful political presence in many different parts of the realm. Yes, having them on your side, especially as we see in Feast, having the gods on your side is very important. Yeah. Theon sees a ton of ships at port, which is a little bit concerning, right? He sees a Tyroshi trading galley, an Ibanese cog for Ib, 50 or 60 longships, Blood Moon of Winch, Good Brothers' banded Black Warhorn, Harlaw's Silver Scythe, and Balin Greyjoy's Great Kraken ship. Seeing all this makes Theon wonder what the hell's going on because of the Great Kraken ship, because it, he's like, Dad wasn't going to unfurl his banners for me. He didn't even send anyone for me. Like, no one cares about you, Theon. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that's rough. Yeah, that's a warning sign, for sure. For sure. It's like, what is this? Are we in a war? I didn't tell anyone anything. He's planning. 
And then when, I mean, yeah, Theon knows better than to expect bail on Greyjoy when he lands, but he expected some sort of lord or like an honor guard together with- An honor guard. I know, right? Like, they don't do- Do they even have an honor guard on, like, the Iron Islands? On the Iron Islands? They don't even have a guard. Yeah. It's like- They're just rocks. Maybe a couple, like- I mean, they'll, like, send someone, but for the most part, they'd probably just be like, I don't know, make your way up here. Can you do it? Go home, buddy. There's stairs. You know how to get there. You did it once before when you were 10. He's looking for Dagmar Cleftjaw, and Theon thinks fondly of him, and he misses him. He doesn't see anyone familiar. He's just like, oh, look, here's an innkeep. And then he just starts bossing the innkeep around, and he's all like, does he even know who I am? Again, something we see in the North, this isn't some fancy royal day, right? There's no tourney for his return. There's no silk pavilion drawn in casks of arbor gold being passed around. That's not the iron way. He's ironborn. They live in caverns made of black, oily stone, like not a golden garden or the bustling capital. Everything's surrounded by lake effect and repressed daddy issues, right? Like this isn't, it's not King's Landing. It's not a party. There's, you came home to ironborn pirate land. Like this isn't, I don't know what you were expecting. Chloe, can you explain what a lake effect is to me? (laughs) (laughs) it's when you live somewhere when you're surrounded by water and it gets real chilly oh the water and yeah it's lake effect it's very uh straightforward then than what it is i don't know i thought it was like some sort of psychological concept because you paired it with repressed daddy issues no i was just naming the things he has in pike oh i thought this was i thought this was an action like a cycle separate things (laughs) sorry i was like ooh, define this for me and our listeners Yeah, it's a Midwest thing. You wouldn't understand. I don't think I would. I, I lived in a state that was surrounded by water for oh, like, yeah. my whole life you got, so, until I moved here. So got all those great lakes up there. Okay, yeah, that great. makes sense. Super great. Make lakes great again. <laughs> oh my god. Um, before Theon can even start up to Pike with the innkeep, though, some other dude comes in and he's like, I'm going to take my nephew there. It's Aberforth Dumbledore. It's Aberforth Dumbledore. Did you mean... uh? Clarence or whatever Credence. Stop. Did you mean Credence? You need to get off this podcast. You've been fired. Thank you. I will find a new co-host. You can put your resignation letter in our inbox. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> this has been your other host, Eliana. You can find me on the internet as Aaron Damper. It's Aaron Damper. It's <laughs> my new podcast host. <laughs> No godless man may be the podcast. May sit the girl's gone yes. cannon throne. Anyway, no, only a the godless. The sea stone chair. Only a godless person would take this job, Christ. Anyway, as he's leaving, um, as Theon's leaving, the captain's daughter comes down and she throws herself at Theon. And she's like, I love you. And then Theon's like, oh my God. Can't do this. You can't just come out here and do this in front of everyone. Theon's out there like bitches, man. You know, he's just like, sorry, bye. And then he he has to detach himself from her and then chase after Aaron, who just like came and was. He just started going. He's yep. like all the way down there already. Theon says he thought of that his father or maybe his mother might greet him, and Aaron is all like, "You ought not to question your father." And apparently Dagmar is at Old Wick to rouse other houses, like the stone houses and the drums, uh, to war, basically. And it's interesting because, of course, Aaron glosses right over Alanis's, uh current state from him, right? It's not his, not his place to explain what's going on with Theon's mom. I realize, does Theon even know? 
No, dude. Like, no, I don't, I don't think he does. He doesn't see her throughout How his Clash chapters. We only see her through Asha's POV. Like, does did someone tell him, or does he just not? I don't know, know if he knows. Maybe we'll like remember. Maybe we will re-remember soon uh, in the next couple chapters, but I don't think so. Yeah. He tried. He asked. He did ask. I wonder if it's something that's going to be, like, what, important? Because, what, Alanis is all sad and stuff about her other, her older sons being dead and her youngest yeah. being taken. And then Asha's like... She walks through the halls with her candles, just whimpering their names. Yeah. Maybe it'll that's be a really thing. really depressing. I actually love the Ironborn, and I love that I got to do Claridox, uh, Michael Carfeld's oh, yeah. uh, map, the Ironborn map. I got to do Alanis Harlaw, and I got to be a little younger looking for it, but... It was really cool. Yeah, that's right. You are holding a candle. Yeah, I am. Just in the halls, in the halls at Pike, just Being wondering sad. where my baby boys, Marin and Roderick are. Yeah, and and Theon. Maybe he'll come back to you. And Theon. Here's your. He is in fact your squid son. Wow. I know. It's literal. Right, meta, meta. Indeed, like the Danny chapters. Aaron asks if Theon prays to the wolf gods now, and Theon's like, nah. So Aaron makes him kneel and anoints him with salt water. Let Theon, your servant, be born again from the sea as you were, Aaron Greyjoy intoned. Bless him with salt, bless him with stone, bless him with steel. Nephew, do you still know the words? What is dead may never die, Theon said, remembering. Guitars greet. <laughs> what is dead may never die, his uncle echoed, but rises again, harder and stronger. Stand. It goes from guitars to Daft Punk. No, no. The guitars. And then when Theon stands, he finally asks Aaron what he feared to know this whole time. I've been half my life away from home, Theon ventured at last. Will I find the islands changed? Men fish the sea, dig in the earth, and die. Women birth children in blood and pain and die. Night follows day. The winds and tides remain. The islands are as our god made them. Gods, he has grown grim, Theon thought. I love that you can kind of compare this almost to Brienne's line about women's battles in the same book, right, between Cat and her. Uh, Knights die in battle, Catelyn reminded her. Brienne looked at her with those blue and beautiful eyes. As ladies die in childbed, no one sings songs about them. And Aaron Greyjoy definitely simplifies the answer to this question, which is not really what Theon meant to ask, but, you know. <laughs> and despite Aaron telling Theon that everything is same as it ever was, Theon is thinking to himself, yes, that Aaron is grim grim. And that shows us that, like, this guy who used to be this fun-loving uncle... Um, it's an indication of how much things have changed in those 10 years. You know, once we get to Aaron's chapters, it's interesting, though, to paint that spin. Because Aaron, of course, is like, I was a drunk. I was an alcoholic. I was wasting my life. My whole life was just dwindling. I could be serving my God. It's, like, very interesting yeah. just to see the different perspectives on what he's become. He just feels also a lot more vibrant, right? There's just so much more urgency within Aaron's chapters that in Theon's chapters we don't get. Um, in Theon's chapters, Aaron just seems like a total, like, stodgy, shitty, not shitty, but just like a stodgy, fuddy, boring old man. Yeah, absolutely. 
Theon then muses to himself about the name of Asha's ship, and he's like, isn't that funny? My sister, Asha, has a ship named Blackwind, and that boy I call my brother that I really shouldn't, Rob, has a wolf that he named Greywind. I should definitely talk about it. Yeah, just kidding. right? No, he does. And Ira's <laughs> just like, um, that's not that cool. And talks briefly about how much he's changed since Theon last saw him. Theon asks why Balin has called for swords and sails, and this is something poor Quentin and I were just talking about, actually, that Balin was already gathering people to swords and sails before Theon came home. One way or another, Balin saw another weak spot in instability in the realm and took advantage of the chaos. Littlefinger isn't the only jobless bitch here. Uh, he was ready to take advantage of that. So Balin was going to do it one way or another, whether that brought him against his son against the young wolf we don't know but he was ready to go he was like yeah i'll kill a bitch whatever i'm going to war i'm gonna take our old way back for sure yeah he just kind of like decided theon was dead to him after a while yeah but i mean you know that's what do you expect there's not much you can do but then of course ned dies so yeah and then when aaron rebuffs theon theon decides to declare that um i'm the heir to the iron islands and aaron's like sure Alright. Okay, Jan. And there is, though, your sister, Asha, which I think there's an interesting inconsistency here. Alright? Like, we know from all these interactions right now that Aaron doesn't like Theon as a possible heir, but he seems, like, super willing here to back Asha as an heir when, like, Aaron Greyjoy is a huge reason and roadblock as to why the Seastone Chair did not pass to Asha after Balon Greyjoy's death. And, like, that's why he was all like, oh no, she's a woman, we can't have her on the Seastone Chair, we need to have a king's mood now, we're gonna put Victorian up. And, like, it was a huge gamble and a risk because Euron was coming along. And, like, Theon gives us some of that world building where it Asha technically could have, because Theon says a woman may inherit only if there is no male heir in the direct line. And Aaron more or less, like, affirms that. And the direct line here means Theon and his siblings, his older brothers being dead, and then that means Asha. And then Theon's all like, I'm not going to be cheated out of my seat. And Aaron's all like, I don't know, we'll see. So I feel like something changed in the way that George R. R. Martin conceived of this Ironborn plot. And... Even a little bit of how he characterized Aaron. So I have two thoughts here. One, I love that this is like a reverse Ariane and Quentin. Like yes. I'm totally seeing it now. It's reverse Ariane and Quentin. Like he's the You're Quentin. Right. Like I won't be cheated. It's my birthright. Like you won't rob me of my birthright, Asha. But also, this might be where George really diverged into giving Aaron that big backstory with Euron and giving him an actual backstory in general. And maybe it's like the idea of the trilogy and we're seeing mm -hmm. the echoes, the butterfly effect of no Euron at first as a big bad. And now Euron is of course the big bad between the others. So maybe there's something in that, that Aaron had to develop to be able to show more of that plot that George came up with, you know, gardening. I think there were like hints in this chapter that maybe Euron would still be a big bad because he does notice that Euron's ship isn't there. But I think yeah. you're right that this is a gardening effect. And I think it's, like you said, it was supposed to be a trilogy, and there was also, like, of course, going to be that time skip, that five-year gap that was yeah, that was chalked, and the Ironborn plot was going to originally be a prologue to a Feast I for think Crows. he just needed a way to also, like, talk about Asha having yeah. a claim. Yeah, I don't know, like, why he's... But, yeah, I think you're right that this is something that came about in terms of 
with the story changing and how he had to make it all fit. Anyway, Dion's all like trying to warn Aaron, as he said, and then Aaron's all like, excuse me, you're going to just warn a servant of the drowned god? You are so dumb. Also, Balon Greyjoy is not going to give the Iron Islands to a Stark. Which, get with it, Theon. Everyone thinks that you're a fucking Stark lackey now. Yeah, that's kind of his whole thing now. And then we get this interesting passage, right, that shows us how Theon actually sees himself and his relationship with the Starks. Theon held his tongue, though not without struggle. So that is the way of it, he thought, as if ten years in Winterfell could make a Stark. Lord Eddard had raised him among his own children, but Theon had never been one of them. The whole castle, from Lady Stark to the lowliest kitchen scullion, knew he was hostage to his father's good behavior and treated him accordingly. Even the bastard, Jon Snow, had been accorded more honor than he had. Lord Eddard had tried to play the father from time to time, but to Theon he had always remained the man who'd brought blood and fire to Pike and taken him from his home. As a boy, he had lived in fear of Stark's stern face and great dark sword. His wife was, if anything, even more distant and suspicious. We're gonna throw this out there, Kat was not wrong. She sure ain't. Say what you want about Kat, but she called him as she seen him. Just saying. Yeah, it's I true. I mean, was she wrong? She was like, I smell a bitch in this house. She was wrong. Mm-hmm. Interesting that he sees all of House Stark very coldly. After an intro to their family life in yet another lens, which us getting to read characters like Sansa, whose disposition is composed of dreamy songs, and Ned, who's drowned in guilt, it doesn't always present to the eye like characters they actually are, right? And Ned couldn't be the warm father to Theon either. He had already turned himself off with Jon, right? Which Mm. feeds back into this passage, but he had already turned himself off with Jon. He couldn't just be Theon's dad. He had like five other kids also. Yeah. Dude, being a parent is hard. Robert should have just kept the kid. What? Oh, Robert oh. should have just taken him. Should have taken Theon? I wonder if Theon actually would have been the like the son that Robert wanted, or would like Theon have just been more like Joffrey? I don't know. But also, then you get into the idea, like, Robert would fucking want to kill that kid. He wouldn't want to keep him around, so. That's true, Ned too. probably stepped up and said he would take him for that. That's true, too. Robert was a bad I dad. I wonder if that's what happened. I mean, it's not like, I guess, Theon, Theon's dad was ended up being a good dad to him but Balon was a pretty good dad to Asha so I don't know he could have been a good dad to Theon had Theon grown up there he had a very hands-off approach I feel like yeah if he had a, if he were a really good dad he would have still been a good dad to Theon when he came back whatever Theon thinks about how he sees Rob like a brother and how the Malisters are companions to him uh Patrick Malister we get some exposition here right that Patrick said to Theon that the bell at Seaguard had only rung once in 300 years, and that was when Theon's brother Roderick Greyjoy stormed it, which obviously, like, getting that information probably means it's going to ring again. I could see that. I don't know. I could see that. Or it's just fun trivia. Theon thinks he misses Patrick, even if he's a Malister, and that he'd make a much better riding companion than Aeron. Theon! Theon! You can't just say that shit, dude. (laughs) You're in squid country right now, dog. (laughs) Squid country! Blend in. Read the room. Oh my god. This is why everyone thinks you're a Northman now. <laughs> He's always going to smell very faintly of wolf now, isn't he? You know? That's true. A wolf. He's got that scent. 
well, I'm sorry. I now have this like weird mental image of like a, a squid running on land next to wolves. Oh my god, I have an image of like a squid riding a wolf. Oh, that one's good too. I like that. Real kawaii. I just think that like the idea of like the squid flailing its tentacles and like like a wheel Aww. is hilarious. Running alongside. It's almost as cute as my cats. Almost. It's definitely not. It's definitely more silly and not cute. Yeah, absolutely. It's cute. But yeah, just as the, a reminder, the Malisters and the Greyjoys are sworn enemies, which is why we're all like Theon, chill. And then, of course, Theon tries to explain that things are different now to Aaron. Rob is the king in the north. I feel like this was such a non-starter. Uh, Theon should know better. It's kind of obvious this isn't their way, right? He's under the idea that peace under a kingdom is better than risking your entire host and people, which look at people like Torin or like Ned who avoid conflict for the North Kingdom. Uh, that's obviously a very northern thought and what Theon's kind of mm-hmm. been brought up in the last 10 years. But that's not what the Ironborn do. They have to be beaten to the ground into submission. They have to die for people to finally go, OK, shit, I should just stop all this bleeding and just let it be on, you know? Even like that point, they obviously keep going because they were beaten to that point. They're like, let's try it again. Let's do it again. It's going to be great. Yeah. As we all know, the red comet is in the sky. It's here again. And Theon's telling Aaron, yeah, in Riveron, they're saying that it's a messenger of the gods. And Aaron's like, yes, it is. But of our god. Everybody thinks it's their god, you know? That's the fun thing about it. That's why it's fun. This is fun. A burning brand it is, such as our people carried of old. It is the flame the drowned god brought from the sea, and it proclaims a rising tide. It is time to hoist our sails and go forth into the world with fire and sword as he did. That's some Azura high imagery if I have ever seen it. And of course, he's relating this to his god. Uh, so... Again, everyone's seeing Azora High and their own god and their own god in Azora High. Mm-hmm. Just like kind of how that happens with religion sometimes. But it's interesting to see Theon start to adapt to Rob's army and where he was stationed and to be, you know, accepting of the seven of the gods, he says. And the Ironborn kind of have always refused to take on or listen to other viewpoints, right? A lot of other cultures do adapt different ideas, religions, laws, etc. in and out of Westeros. It's kind of reminds me of a a kind of almost an exact opposite look at that power dynamic of the wildlings coming down the wall and giving their lives to the watch for protection or accepting Stannis as gods and giving that up just so their kind can survive where the Greyjoys and the Ironborn go for the exact opposite. They take and take and take in their name. Yeah, it seems like when you bring up this idea of the wildlings, do you think that the Ironborn would rather die than give up their religion? Yeah, I think they do cling to it in a way. I think also they're more of those people that if you tell them no about something, they freak out. So <laughs> they do seem like that. They're very, very like temperate. Like you got, they're just yeah. Theon looks then at the castle and the cliffs of Pike, and we see that he views this entire island in the context of the Greyjoy Rebellion. Like he's all thinking, "Oh, those are the scars on the cliffs that were left by King Robert's trebuchets." And oh, there's the place where King Robert breached Pike together with Ned. And there's where I would put trees if I had them. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, place is sad. It's a sad place. 
Yeah, we kind of can see why Theon couldn't love Ned as a dad, right? Theon had watched from the safety of the sea tower, and sometimes he still saw the torches in his dreams and heard the dull thunder of the collapse. And this reminds me a lot of like the Targaryens that were younger when they dealt with a bunch of stuff like like Bela, who was at Dragonstone and had to like climb out her window to her dragon and like all the, the, the just the crazy, the oh, yeah. dance, like imagine that dance, the noise of the dance. I was thinking of this is kind of like maybe how Sansa felt during the Blackwater, but yeah. she was much more at least sheltered in there. I do think, though, that Theon obviously softened to his captors in a way that Sansa didn't because we know the Starks. Like, they treated Theon better than Joffrey and Cersei treated Sansa. Yeah, they weren't beating him. There's that. Um, They were feeding him. They were at the very least bare minimum standard in terms of what one could ask. But I do think that there is, like, an idea that's put forth in the show, right, where, like, Theon talks about, like, oh, Ned Stark was my true father and stuff. And I think that Theon could feel like Rob was truly his brother, but as we see in Theon's interiority in A Clash of Kings, I don't think that Theon could ever really feel that Ned Stark was his true father, and I don't begrudge him for that, like... If we can accept that Sansa would never truly want Tyrion as her husband because she says she doesn't want any Lannister as a husband. She didn't even want Lancel, all right? Because they're the family that killed her father, her brother, and her mother. Like, I think it's only fair to accept that no matter how well Ned treated Theon, Ned led a charge against the Ironborn. And he may not have been the ones who actually killed Theon's brothers, as we see discussed in this chapter. But, like, Theon feels that Ned would have done it um, if he had to. And... We also see like that the Greyjoy Rebellion is so much of how Theon remembers Pike, his home, like as just this war-torn place. And of course, like it's because of Balon's own ambition, right, and desire to return to the old ways, which are shitty ways, they're not good ways. And that's like what brings this warfare down on the Greyjoys and and the Iron Islands, but it is understandable that it is so viscerally a part of Theon's boyhood memories. And, I mean, maybe it's selective, right? Because he jokes about Roderick's death with Patrick and how Jason's slain him. But, I mean, Ned's Ned's the guy who, like, destroyed his home and then took him away from that home. Yeah, and it all rotates around that whole sins of our fathers thing, like Southern ambitions tearing apart the story and these ambitions tearing apart Theon's part of his story. I mean, like you said, when he walks with Aaron. He thinks, you know, I'd rather have hung out with Patrick anyways. He just stinks of the North now. He's, that's, those are his people. That's where he grew up. That's where his brain was grown at the most important times, you know, at its most yeah. functioning. Yeah. And that's why he's, like, having such a hard time, like, reconciling, like, uh, I only remember this place as, like, being on fire. <laughs> and I think it's what pushes him over the edge, too, you know? To w- when, when pushes him over the edge to try and prove himself as an iron boy? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is what pushes him over the edge. All of this buildup, all of this, you know, 10 years away and I need to impress my dad. And now he just thinks I'm a wolf. I'll show him and I'll show him who's a wolf. And and I mean, of course, in the end, he still couldn't do it. We The Miller's boys, you know, that's... Anyways, I digress. We're skipping far ahead, but... No, well, hold on, hold on. I, um, I do want to stick with that for just like a second because... As you were saying, like, yeah, he was taken away. He wasn't home for 10 years. Like, when Ned and Robert were wards at the Eyrie, they could visit home. We see that, and they, like, had friends that they could visit and do whatever. 
Theon didn't get to go home. He has no connection to his family and his home. And that is because he was a hostage. And that's why, as you said, he feels this need to prove himself because that was denied him. Yeah. So when he finally shows up at the Great Keep, he's greeted by stablemen and thralls. And Theon thinks of them having dull eyes, similarly to how he thought the captain's daughter was stupid. He really looks down on them, which is, again, not a good look, Theon. Not at all. No, it's not a good look. (laughs) <laughs> they, I'm just like I don't know if any of these people are stupid or dull or if you just think that because they're you don't know them they're just eyes <laughs> yeah, they literally are you can't eyes. control what your eyes do they might just have RBF and yeah. sometimes that happens yeah he asks Aaron if he will stay for meat and mead and the like and Aaron keeps giving him like Yoda like answers to things the way these are phrased, I'm sorry, this just really stood out to me. No, completely. It, I died laughing when you said that. Aaron Greyjoy, like, earlier he's just like, for me, you shall not, in terms of getting an answer. And here he's like, bring you, I was told. I was like, okay, Aaron, whatever. Oh my god, I'll never unsee that. It's just Yoda, like, walking around with a walking stick. <laughs> ah, bring you, I was told. <laughs> Uncle Greyjoy. Yes, that's him. Balin didn't come down to meet him, so he waits for Theon in the Sea Tower. He yeah, like comes back to all these new people like Helia who keeps Hell the yeah. castle. Hell yeah. <laughs> Silas Sourmouth was who Theon knew from his childhood, but he's been dead five years, he learns. So this drags us right to the crux of the chapter, which of course we quoted at the start of this episode. It is as if I were a stranger here, Theon thought. Nothing has changed, and yet everything has changed. And Theon doesn't get to go back to his old bedchambers, which is where he thought he was going to sleep and be taken in the sea tower instead he's brought to a place that's called the bloody keep so you know it's gonna be great instead the old woman led him to the bloody keep the halls were larger and better furnished if no less cold nor damp theon was given a suite of chilly rooms with ceilings so high that they were lost in gloom he might have been more impressed if he had not known that these were the very chambers that had given the bloody keep its name a thousand years before the sons of the river king had been slaughtered here packed to bits in their beds so that pieces of their bodies might be sent back to their father on the mainland. But Greyjoys were not murdered in Pike except once in a great while by their brothers, and his brothers were both dead. Ugh, heebie-jeebies. I'm just, like, thinking, I just want to spam a bunch of, like, siren slash alarm emojis. At Theon especially, like, get out of there. Regarding this, to everyone else who's, like, reading this passage, because... There are two things that we see that are coming into play in this passage that happen later in the story, but of course with a slight twist, like that idea of, <laughs> yeah, as you said, everyone needs to get the fuck out of here right now, hacked to bits in their bed so that pieces of their bodies might be sent back to their father on the mainland. I've never heard of this happening to anyone in the story except for, of course, Theon Greyjoy. Yeah, that was who... a nod. That was a nod. Maybe. <laughs> I def- definitely um also like what a like, hostile place to put your son in it's definitely like it's hostile and he doesn't like and we'll get to this but yeah. he doesn't know theon yet so he like he's he's like almost testing him he's like to like scare him this is definitely like he doesn't know what theon's coming to him as yeah he knows he i mean balon greyjoy is saying something here without having even seen his son yet by putting him in this room yeah so Theon has body pieces hacked off, right, and sent to his dad, whatevs. And then this whole thing of, right, 
Roxanne's like, uh, why would I ever worry about that? Because Greyjoys were not murdered in Pike, except once in a great while by their brothers, and uh, his brothers were dead. Uh, Theon. Theon's fine, sure, sure. sure. But guess who who has brothers that are Greyjoys? Guess who is a Greyjoy with brothers? Oh, uh, wait, um, who- mm, mm, Balin? Balin. Oh, he has I two brothers. I mean, one of them probably does actually have dull eyes. Throw that out there. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. Probably. Exterior. <laughs> um, and yeah, Euron pretty much. It- Mail murders Balon, and I mean, like other thi- other things happen. Yeah, we'll hear of some more of Euron's kin slaying when we someday get to the Forsaken in ten years. I don't actually know when we get to the Forsaken. I literally don't know. Things. We'll get there someday, though. It'll be a good episode. Yeah. We'll have to. Uh, I think there's a guest we have to ask on for that. Is there? Is it George R. R. Martin? Yeah, he's going to be on the podcast. He said so. Yeah, <laughs> we're best Me friends. Too. Also, Theon is like thinking he's going to get a warm welcome. What? Like, do you know where you used to live, bro? Do you even know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does, right? And he, like, told the captain's daughter. I was, like, thinking about, what's her name? I was like, we don't know her name. Uh, about how cold and shitty and hard, like, the Iron Islands were. And what what did he think he was going to get? But yeah, he wants an, uh, a freaking welcome guard. <laughs> yeah. An honor guard. Oh my God. An honor guard. You live in the Iron Islands oh now, ho. There's no honor guard. <laughs> There's no... Who's even gonna be here? No be one. Like, nobody lives here. No one wants There's to no live guards. Here. People just have axes and shit. Yeah. He gets ready to meet with his father, and he puts a lot of choice into what he wears, but he puts all the wrong choice into it. <laughs> yeah. He puts a lot of thought. He chose boots of supple black leather, Soft lambswool breeches of silvery gray, a black velvet doublet with the golden kraken of the Greyjoys embroidered on the breast. Around his throat, he fastened a slender gold chain around his waist, a belt of bleached white leather. He hung a dirk at one hip and a longsword at the other in scabbards striped black and gold. Drawing the dirk, he tested its edge with his thumb, pulled a whetstone from his belt pouch and gave it a few licks. He prided himself on keeping his weapons sharp. When I return, I shall expect a warm room and clean rushes, he warned the thralls as he put on, as he drew on a pair of black gloves, the silk decorated with a delicate scrollwork tracery and golden thread. Read the room, Theon. Don't put your fancy-ass clothing on when you go to your fucking evil, mean pirate family. What's wrong with you? Read your cold, dirty room. Dress like to match. This is, yeah, this is not the place. All right, don't put on your cocktail. On your leather what jacket, is this hot topic ass outfit that he just threw on to go to dinner with his dad, his estranged father. Like what? You should be wearing what you got from the thrift shop, Theon. Lake effect and repressed daddy issues. That is all this is. Really is. We're gonna yeah. only get more of it. It's gonna be great. Theon then makes his way up to where Balon is. He's like crossing these bridges and all of them like are super scary and narrower than the last one. And the final bridge is just made of rope and wood and it sways in the wind above like these like, I don't know, cliffs of super jagged rocks. And then Theon thinks to himself about being scared about it. He's like, boys believe nothing can hurt them. His doubt whispered, grown men know better. So that's his like, his fear, fear thing from Eddard, right? His, uh. That's his fear phrase right there. Mm. Grown men know better. But also, I love that that, like, focuses on the bridge swinging in the wind and how he thinks, like, grown men know better. Yeah, but grown men also have murderous brothers. Exactly. I'm like, he is not wrong to be afraid of this bridge. Yeah, many other people should be afraid of it. 
It's just that Theon's afraid, I guess, of the wrong thing. I mean, yes, the bridge is scary, but many things will hurt you in your life, Theon Greyjoy. And as we see throughout Clash, Theon is still very much a boy. He has a lot of time to get injured soon, too, so... Saying, he's a, it does he's got his whole life yeah, ahead of him. His whole book life beyond. Don't you worry. So we see Balin Greyjoy. He is more gaunt than Theon remembers after 10 years of being apart. And Balin is skeptical that his son is still ironborn. He accuses Theon of being a messenger for the Starks. And of course, the father he finally gets to see after all these years starts to rip into him because of his clothing. We go into a lot more depth regarding this scene in our Patreon episode, Every Day is Halloween, but but basically, Balon Greyjoy decides who Theon's identity is. It's described through the clothing that Theon wears, and through the clothing that Theon wears, we very much see how Stark-like, how North-like he is, and we begin that process where Balon Greyjoy like just tears things off and, and makes fun of Theon and tells him, no, this is not how you're supposed to dress. And Balon accuses Theon of having gone soft because he's paid the gold price for all of these niceties instead of, again, going to the thrift shop. And Theon insists that these letters and the terms, though, that he has brought to Balon were his idea. It's a great idea, Dad. Yeah, Balin refuses to listen to his son and Theon tries to goad him into reading it. And he's like, I remember when my father was a king. The letter basically offers Balin to be king of the Iron Islands in exchange for helping Rob destroy his enemies. And of course, Theon used a really good kind of idea, train of thought. He thought it would be a good idea to bind his families together, right? When you think about it, he diplomatically thought, I can be a Stark and I can be a Greyjoy by wedding my family together in this kind of a glorious battle. But his dad shoots that shit right down. Wow, when you put it that way, now it's like super sad. Like that's like a, such a childlike. He wanted to have both worlds. He could still be Lord Greyjoy with his black and gold, you know, outfit on, but yeah. that's not how the Ironborn works. Mom and Dad can get it's back not how it together. Works. Balon though gets super fixated on this one phrase in the letter where Rob is going to give Balon the crown. Theon here is, like, very pleased with himself, though, not really thinking about it. He's saying, like, this is great, I'm gonna lead an attack on Lannisport, then I'm gonna take Casterly Rock. And Balon's like, wait, hold on, back up. This boy, Rob Stark, who's just been king now, this boy thinks he's gonna just give me Balon Greyjoy, just give me a crown. He's, this, him, he's going to give me a crown. He's just like, I think the hell not. Yeah. He burns the letter and Theon's like, whoa, whoa, are you mad? Like, what are you doing? And Balin's like, don't talk to me that way. You Which, mad. yes, absolutely. Like, you are my son. Don't you speak like that, young man. Don't use that tone with me. <laughs> my God. That's exactly what it is going on there. But Theon's like, fuck that. I'm 19, Dad. I'm going to say whatever I want. He makes a comeback. And interestingly, this actually works. And Theon making this comeback pleases Balon. He's like, at least you're not a coward. <laughs> So, Balin yeah. reveals his plan. Yes, we're gonna fight, and that's what the longships are for. I mean to carve out a kingdom with fire and sword, but not from the west, and not at the bidding of King Rob the Boy. Casterly Rock is too strong, and Lord Tywin too cunning by half. Aye, we might take Lannisport, but we should never keep it. No, I hunger for a different plum. Not so juicy sweet. To be sure, yet it hangs there, ripe and undefended. It's you. 
Where? Theon might have asked. But by then he knew. <sighs> what a nightmare. Everything went wrong today, right, for Theon. Theon Starkjoy and the no good, very bad, absolutely Aww. fucking horrible bullshit day. Nothing was right. Yeah, he thought it was going to all go really well at the beginning. He's like, got a morning nut, and then it all was just like downhill from there. I like how uh, Balin talks about Winterfell as a plum, not a Yeah, it's kind of sour. How do you pick that fruit? That's true. Just <laughs> pick that fruit. The way that the closing to this chapter is written, and that insinuation at the end with the reveal of the plans, it's not explicitly stated, right? But it's very much similar to how George writes, because this is similar to that last feast chapter for Arian's storyline, when he reveals that, oh, your brother that you think is stealing your throne, that's not what's happening. Like, Quentin's, this is actually what Quentin's been doing. Vengeance. His voice was soft, as if he were afraid that someone might be listening. Justice. Prince Doran pressed Onyx Dragon into her palm with his swollen, gouty fingers and whispered fire and blood. And it's that implication of where we're going. Doran doesn't actually straight up say what Quentin's doing, and the fact that, like, it's the same here, because Theon knows what Balon means, and it all comes together so that the reader also understands that we're talking about Winterfell. Winterfell is the plum. Theon knows exactly what's going on. There. It is undefended. It it it's all pointing to it. And and like throughout this entire chapter, like where Theon grew up, the castle and the family, that it's Winterfell's been that looming presence in his whole mind. And this entire battle between like the Greyjoys and the Starks has been going on for ten years. It didn't end with the Greyjoy Rebellion. <laughs> It's been happening it has, though. It, it Theon, has, and it's interesting because time. this is the moment that Theon has to choose which family, you know, like, it's the carrot in front of him that's being dangled that you can have your family back, but you have to do this for us, and you have to betray everything you've known for the last 10 years. And this chapter's great because it gives us so much Balin mm -hmm. backstory and Rebellion backstory without handing us that Balin POV. We don't need the Balin POV. I wouldn't want to be in his mind, mm -hmm. personally. Fuck that crusty old man, but he dares to use this chaos to secure his people's independence and find glory through, albeit not very honorable ways. He paid the iron price himself originally in losing his elder sons, who were arguably heir material, and then he loses his only son left, the, the heir, to Lord Stark as a hostage of war. So, though well treated, his son is raised by Balin's bitter enemy. He's left to stew in it, lonely. His wife loses her marbles. She lives in her family's towers alone, wandering the halls, crying. Nothing but his daughter to comfort him. Balin's last chance for revenge and to take what he wants is this. This is his I Want song. It's laid out in the background of this chapter, and it ramps up to show Theon's original fall from grace, which... Funny enough, uh, leads to another fall later on. Thanks, Judas. But hey, you guys, this has been great. Thank you for listening. It's really weird to be on to another POV, and it's not Sansa. We were really in that Sansa mode for a while. We were, but we are switching gears. We are ready to dive in to the Theon chapters. Yeah, two and three next week. Are you ready? We got some emotions to get through. There's a lot of emotions Dude, in it the Hall of so fast. Yeah, we just skip. We just skip ahead. Oh my God. But stay, stay with us, everyone. Subscribe to us on social media. Uh, hit us up on email. Tell us your fruits and vegetables and stuff. Uh, you can find us as Girls Gone Canon on Twitter, or as Girls Gone Canon at gmail.com via email. 
yeah, make sure you subscribe to us. You can subscribe to us on Podbean, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Stitcher, and on Acast. And of course, we also have a Patreon, and there is an Elaine chapter in the Winds of Winter. So $5 and up patrons will be able to hear that Patreon episode, which will come out before the end of the month. And as always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as at Liza and Arbor or at www.lizenarborgold.com. And I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl on the Mason Monthly Podcast or the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. Have a good one, guys. Don't get too sad thinking okay. about Dion. Goodbye. You getting sad? Oh, I'm getting sad. I, I feel mixed. I'm sad, but I'm excited because we're doing, we're here at the Theon chapter. It's going to be good. Oh my God. Goodbye, you guys.